guys, this is That Girl with the Curls, Sam. Um, hopefully by now you've gotten used to my way of, of doing things with these uh, recordings and whatnot. Uh, if not, uh, you know, it's going to keep happening this way, so just skip ahead and it'll be fine. I promise you it'll be fine. So this is episode uh, 15, Jennifer K. Stellar who is better known as the ink-stained Amazon, or at least that's the blog for which she is most well-known, which you can find at inkstainedamazon.com. And uh, Jen I met at a, a show for uh, Weed Nest Burlesque, which if you listen to the JoJo Stiletto episode, uh, you'll know was a thing that I was going to go do, and then I did, and then um, I heard that Jen was in the audience, and I've been a fan of her blog for some time, and so I went up and talked to her and asked her if she'd come on the podcast, and here you go. Here's episode 15, which is officially the first episode that is uh, free of Word of the Nerd. It's all me, all that girl with the curls, all Sam, all Maniacal Geek, which is um, what I'm associated with as well. So I hope you enjoy this. Jen was really great to talk to. We, we span many different uh, genres and focusing a lot on female heroes and uh, you know the, the lack of women of color, the lack of different body types. Uh, we, we get into some, some deep stuff, but it's also, you know, just, it's really fun to kind of talk about these things because they're things that need to be talked about. And uh, the more that they're put out there, the more educated we become, the, the more diverse our movies and television are going to be reflected in that. So please enjoy this episode and uh, go and check out Jen's blog. And uh, yeah, so uh, have a good one and I'll see you next time. Where it's like I've done a whole podcast and it's suddenly like, oh shit, I have two minutes. Oh no. <laughs> oh, it's happened a few times where you're just like, why? Ryan got me this program. I haven't used it yet, but it's called Call Recorder. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. There might be other options that have more room. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I because yeah, I use Pamela because it, it it's you know use it, it's well with Skype or something. Oh, okay, whatever. yeah. And so at times, if, like, the wrong person calls in or if someone decides to switch to video at a weird time, (laughs) it'll glitch out. And then you're like, oh, I hope we kept all that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how was California? Amazing. It was so good. Yeah. I I mean, I've been to California um, within the last three years, but I haven't been, you know, home in three years. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was really nice to spend a couple weeks at my parents' house and swim and go to the beach and see friends and go into the city. And then we went up to, um, a couple years ago, they bought a cabin in Tahoe. And so we went up there for a week and it was just quiet and amazing. Oh, that's great. No, I've, I've been wanting to do that. I'm, I'm going to 
Spain in mid-October. Mm. Yeah, That's so... I know! Um, after GeekGirlCon, though, right? Yeah, after GeekGirlCon, okay. definitely. I have two panels I need to be on, so... Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> I'll leave a thing for Alan and Susan and just be like, yeah, guys, went to Spain. Yeah. Could you cover for me? That'd be cool. And they would. <laughs> yeah, they probably would. What would stop Alan from talking about Wonder Woman right. the whole time? With, yeah. <laughs> like, I just want to be a part of something, so I'm I'm actually superfluous to the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm gonna try and use the the time in Europe to just kind of decompress a little bit and yeah. do some writing if I feel like it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, my husband hasn't taken a vacation for three years, and I mean he's working evenings and weekends, and mm-hmm. he was getting several work related phone calls a day, and mm-hmm. um, but it was still better than being at the office all day because you got to go to like the beach in Tahoe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <So. laughs> I'm working technically. He's working, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or I'm on vacation technically. <laughs> yeah, vacation technically. Yeah. I mean, do you use that time to kind of work on anything, or do you just kind of like shut down? And you're like, I'm all about just being in California. And I wanted to. I, I think you know. I realized that we are at an at a point in our adult lives where we can't take a capital V vacation, and mm-hmm. and part of that is where we are in our adult lives, and part of that is you know, technology today and being able to reach. So I was working on an article um, for Bitch Magazine and um, somebody had sent some interview questions uh, for another project. And so I I worked on that, but I'm trying really hard to do, um, and maybe we'll get into this later, um, but really trying hard to look at my my day, my week, my month, my year, and balance Mm -hmm. things out so that I'm not constantly thinking about doing work stuff yeah so so yeah so yeah. I did a pretty good job about that <laughs> I run into the same problems it's it's one of the things because I you know with this with this podcast I'm now branching out on my own you're 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 basically my first guest as a um the the basically the first guest of that girl with the curls sans the word of the nerd okay. uh attachment to it because I took the 14 that I previously had banked and I'm now moving them over um, so you're officially the first guest of it. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cause I normally started with like an intro, but I'm just like, I, I, I've always felt they were very, um, I don't know, just forced. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, hi everyone. I'm trying to say something clever before we start talking about something. Yeah. And so what was the impetus for branching out on your own? Um, I wasn't particularly happy with where the website was going. Yeah. And uh, once I got my my own podcast, and it was it was essentially given to me as a because I was the one going to all the cons that were local to me at least, and you know putting my card out there, promoting the site, you know bringing people in for interviews and everything, and it's just like I'm not getting paid for this, so I, why should I you know have all this stress of all this other stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and know? you're getting some pretty high profile people as well, so. I, I try to. I mean, I it's it's like a mix of, I guess, yeah, what we call high profile, and then and then I just like really talking to you know creators because I'm always trying to learn more about the process of writing yeah. and you know pitching and all that. Kind yeah, of stuff. yeah. <laughs> it's a constant learning process, but uh, I mean, it's but it's fun on the way. So yeah, 
I'd much rather have fun and not get paid than be miserable and not get paid. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> exactly. but, but some combination of both, if, if it can be managed, is good. Yeah. yeah. And time management has always been, uh, it's, it's something I'm good at, but I worry about things constantly. So oh, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's the anxiety that I have to get over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. That's uh, that's actually something I've been working on a lot this past year. Is oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't wanna, you know, I think that we get our people who are curious and hardworking and who have a lot of drive and who want to do like really cool things that are emotionally rewarding. Um, that they tend to get really obsessive about the work and. and and then there's guilt involved because it's fun work and like, and then you just, you just create this huge spiral and yeah, I don't know. Anyway. It's like, it's like oh my God, I'm enjoying myself. Why am I enjoying myself? <laughs> or I should be making money, more money or I should be doing this or I should have yeah. a J-O-B or should, you know, I, <laughs> all of the shoulds. Yeah, well, and it kind of goes into, like, even, I mean, I guess if you want to bring it down to the brass tacks of being women, too, it's like this, almost this drive to, to needing to do everything, you know, oh, to, yeah. like, this strange, well, not even strange, like, this thing where we have to prove that we're good at everything so that people just shut up for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, and, you know, I don't know if this is specifically female, but the idea of, I didn't get to all of these things today, instead of saying, look what I actually accomplished today, instead of yeah. beating myself up for the thing that I didn't do, which is like the laundry, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, oh, I accom I got my socks all put together. Yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I weeded out the ones with the holes in them. I, I've accomplished something today. Yeah, well, or, you know, I mean, what redefining what accomplishment looks like instead of yeah. uh, the things that we're supposed to do that are in the background. Like, doing the dishes actually is an accomplishment, right? If you did actually take time to do that in addition to the other things that you did. So what does accomplishment actually look like? And how do yeah. we value accomplishment? Is it, I went to work for nine hours today and, you know, commuted and went to the grocery store? Or, I don't know, there, there are different kinds of accomplishment. Yeah, it's like it's not always completing the Ameri the great American novel. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just want to be Hemingway. Why can't I just be Hemingway? <laughs> it's probably not going to end well, though. No, but. no, no. Not not poor Papa. No, exactly. I actually had an idea. I was running by a friend of mine to do like these little illustrations of how to how to do things this author's way, and the the Hemingway is basically be an author, drink a lot, blackout. Novel. There you go. <laughs> like I just want that on my wall somewhere. <laughs> but uh, but speaking of accomplishments, uh, you've you've got a hefty dose of them under your belt, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Well, like, because, I mean, uh, for those who, who don't know, you're, um, you're the ink-stained Amazon, essentially. That's, uh, that's your moniker for most things. And uh, you have a book of the same title where you're talking about... Um, women warriors and, and uh, cinematic uh, universes and TV universes as well and comic books and whatnot, um, which is, you know, fascinating to me because I've been kind of struggling with this whole idea of, like, the strong female character um, trope. Yes. Um, it is. It's, it's difficult to deal with at times because I understand the, the purpose of it. I, I wrote an article about the myth of the strong female character. Okay. Um, after a guy basically, um, he was trying to sell his product. 
he saw I have because I have a big Barda tattoo on my um on my left arm. Okay. Um, he saw that I was also wearing a Wonder Woman T-shirt, so he figured if I say the word strong female character enough, this girl will probably buy something of mine. Ah. You know, and and it, and I don't believe it's out of like you know malice or anything like that. He's just trying to sell a product, and I get that. Yeah. But it, it just boils down to the idea of, like, okay, I get it that you want to show she's strong, but that, do we have to have a qualifier to it? Like, men don't – we don't say Batman is a strong male character. Yeah, yeah, no, right? Well, <laughs> it's like, it's kind of implied. Yeah, I have to say, it's implicit, right, that he's – and, and it's, it's implicit because he's a complex character. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about strong female character, it's it's become shorthand for – what it really should be, which is a complex female character, uh, a female character who has agency, who overcomes um, trauma and adversity and um, and makes does something productive with that. Um, somebody who can stand up for herself, who has feelings and thoughts. <laughs> what? I know, yeah. right? Um, and, but strong female characters become this, this cliched trope where, um, it, where it's actually really a visual thing versus like an intellectual thing. It's you, a strong female character is, you know, stereotypically sexy, um, and carries a lot of guns. Right. And, and, and I don't think that that, um, is intentional. I don't think that that one dimensionality or two dimensionality is intentional. I, I think that people just aren't the, the people that are making these characters aren't really thinking through what strong female character might actually look like. Right. It's just the yeah. stereotype. It's like this. It, yeah. It's the shorthand that we just use to be like, Oh, guess what ladies? Like there, there's a, a character for you here. It's like, well, what does she do? It's like, ah, she's a strong female character. She can kick ass. Yes, like, can she balance a checkbook as well? Does she emotionally, you know, deal with the the happenings at work and family? Yeah, Yeah. can she raise her child? Is she, yeah, what is she doing in her, you know, superheroes or action heroes generally have day jobs? What is she, is this her day job? Is she somebody like Jane Tennyson on Prime Suspect? You know, what does a strong female character actually look like? Um, Especially when we're talking about, like, like we are talking about right now, um, uh, genre characters, right? Instead of yeah. like uh, Leslie Nope on Parks and Rec, right? Who is a strong female character? But that's yeah. that's in the comedy genre, right? Mm-hmm. Did I lose you? No, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was gonna be more to it. No, no, no. <laughs> Awkward pause. Um, no, no, it, exactly. It's. I mean, you. Uh, I mean, when you were writing the book. Um, are there any particular characters that do stand out as kind of fully realized um, or are we still, are, are we still kind of um, struggling with that um, in a lot of ways? Well, I mean, I think there are uh, yeah, yes and yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I really love modesty blaze um, and I've talked about her quite a bit. She's not, not so much in the book. I had a whole chapter on spies that I had to cut for um, space but I found her to be um, not really a realistic character, but one who was very well-rounded um, and very thoughtful and had a lot of agency and had a lot of complexity. Um, somebody who was not necessarily a villain to start out with, but who um, was in a, a crime network and 
wanted to use her skills to be be a success and get out of that. And when she dissolved the crime network, she um, uh, paid off everybody that was working for her so that they could all retire with her comfortably. And um, but she's very thoughtful and observant and smart. Um, I mean, and she's one of my favorites. I think Buffy is pretty well-rounded, you know, being a teenage girl with vulnerabilities. Um, And also her evolution through, um, through the season. Yes. Like, yes. Because Buffy's always, Buffy's the, um, she's basically like the signpost, you know, for a lot of, of people's, like, version of the strong pe- female character, at least for the 90s generation. Oh, agreed. Yeah, because, like, it, I guess if you were to go earlier than that, would maybe be Ellen Ripley, I suppose? Or, I mean, do you think that there is, is one character that we can kind of look at um, in particular decades and be like, okay, that's kind of the standard, or is it just kind of like a, a nebulous thing? I think, that, well, I mean, I think the standard for... Uh, what most people would recognize, like Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ripley, I definitely think people would recognize. Sarah Connor, uh, those are, you yeah. know, those are both the 1980s. Um, Wonder Woman, for sure. Or, or sorry, Buffy, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I'm wondering who would be the person that we would look at to, in the 2010s. And yeah. Then, or the, the, yeah, the 2010s and then, like, today. In yeah, I'd almost say, like, Black Widow is getting, like, yeah. pretty... Yeah, because, I mean, she's definitely the, the only major female character in any kind of, like, superhero genre that's gotten so much attention and at least grown in every film that she's been in. Yeah. I guess, if, if that's the closest I can think of in terms of the movie universes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and that's the other thing is, I mean, so you were talking about Buffy and her evolution. Like, television... Mm-hmm. Um, and and comics to some extent, even more than film, we actually get to see the the complexity of female characters because they're those stories are told over such a long period of time. If we're lucky, um, right now I'm really interested in um, Jenny and Abby Mills on Sleepy Hollow. Oh my God, they're so amazing! They are right, and we don't usually get you know all of these characters we've been talking about: Wonder Woman. Uh, Ripley, Sailor Connor, Black Widow, uh, Buffy, they're, they're all white women. So to get to yeah. see these really strong, complicated women of color in lead roles, um, and they just added, um, I believe she's Latina uh, character last week. Yeah. yeah. In a position of power. And it's not presented as being sort of awkward or weird or other. It just is. Mm-hmm. And that is very cool as well. So I'm I'm really excited about watching that right now. Yeah, the dynamic is definitely really awesome, especially when they brought um uh you know Abby you know Jenny in, and then you're just like oh my god she's just amazing and and uh, obviously like uh it has such a diverse cast with you know with uh, uh Orlando Jones as well and um, was it now uh. There's there's other shows now that are doing a lot more of that too. Like Castle has their captain, who's a, a woman of color as well. And um, there's I don't know, it's, um, what is it? Agents of Marvel. Agents of Shield. Uh-oh. Agents, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I watch television. Yeah. <laughs> Agents of Shield, yeah, with uh, uh, Ming Na Wen, who is just I I I've adored her since uh, ER. Yeah. So uh, it was always nice to see her come back. And then um, was it Chloe? Uh, Bennett, I think, who plays Sky. Okay, yeah. 
I think so. Yeah, because she's she's mixed as well. I mean, just it's nice to see that that diversity coming into a lot more of these shows now where you can have um, people see themselves on screen more now than, you know, for a long time. Whoa, more now. <laughs> yeah, more now. We, we can do better. But, but definitely now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's one of those ongoing things because every time someone brings up, "Oh my God, they have such a diverse cast," like, "Yeah, well, maybe we should have had a bigger diverse cast beforehand." Like, why is why is white the standard? Yeah, you know, why is male the standard? Um, there's always that what five man band thing. There's always the chick. Yeah, or the Smurfette principle. Yeah, the Smurfette principle definitely. Yeah. Um, so I mean, when you were approaching. Uh, Inkstained Amazon, um, you know, what were, I guess, how did you, how did you approach the book itself? Like, how did you kind of like center everything and decide your chapters and what you were going to focus on? Yeah. So, um, so the story is I, I went back to college at 27 and Mm -hmm. I went to, um, the program, the comparative history of ideas at the university of Washington, Mm-hmm. And, yes, uh, which was an amazing program. I wanted to do a humanities program. I wanted to do a program that had a lot of intellectually rigorous um, but self-directed study. CHID has, which is the acronym, CHID has a lot of um, a lot of returning adult students. So it's people who know what they're paying for college. They know <laughs> they have this limited time, and they are very, very driven. And there's a, there's a lot of freedom and a lot of support from the um, academic or scholarly community within CHID. And I knew that I wanted to do something with women's studies. I knew that I wanted to do something with mythology, um, particularly women hero stories in mythology, which mm-hmm. there aren't really a lot of. Yeah. And uh, at that time, I... Two things happened. Um, I talk about this in the introduction to Inkstain Amazons. I fell in love with Buffy after years of people telling me I should watch it. I watched once more with feeling, so I came to it very late. Fell mm-hmm. totally in love with it with that one episode, and I think FX at the time was showing um, repeats, so I caught up with it really quick. My husband and I both fell in love with it. And then... This was at the beginning of the sort of superhero renaissance in films with Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. And my husband Ryan would tell me sort of the backstories of of all of these characters in the comic books. And I started realizing, oh my gosh, this is mythology. This is is the same thing, right? It's so obvious. Why didn't I ever get this before? (laughs) <laughs> and um, I found Richard Richard Reynolds' book, uh, Superheroes of Modern Mythology, and read that. Um, so there was some academic study done before where, yes, this is, you know, this is a modern telling of these old stories, right? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of guided my, my studies. Um, and I went to various professors uh, that could help me sort of resor- research what would the history of female heroes be, right? Mm-hmm. So to do that, I had to do popular culture, which is fine with me because I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, grew up with it. I grew up with, with Linda Carter's Wonder Woman I, and, you know, all those great shows in the 1970s, the Battlestar Galactica and uh, Incredible Hulk, um, uh, Kung Fu, you know, all of these sort of great heroic stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, my senior thesis advisor said, look, 
don't go to grad school. (laughs) You're going to hate grad school. Um, Mm -hmm. What you should do is for your senior thesis, write a book proposal. Have your senior thesis be a book proposal. And so I wrote a book proposal for Inkstained Amazons and Cinematic Warriors. Um, At the time, it was called Not Your Sidekick. Nah. Right? And, um, but apparently you're not supposed to use a negative in a title. Uh, that's what my, my publisher said. Oh. Um, and, uh, graduated, went to the Slayage Conference on the Whedon Verses, and met somebody, met Roz Caveney, who introduced me to her publisher. And so that's how the book started to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, or that's the, you know, the origin story of the book. And so when I approached it, it was like, okay, what are the things that should be talked about in terms of a survey of, or an, a survey and introduction to the female hero in modern mythology mm-hmm. and a history, like, and it's an overview of a history that addressed comics, film and television, um, I left out novels and video games because it was just too much. Because you wanted to write a tome, right? Yeah, yes. Because well, I only had a 90,000 word count. It was actually 80,000, and I, and I pushed it a little bit. Um, <laughs> and then what are the themes in the journey of the female hero that differ from the journey of the male hero? Because, I mean – like a lot of college students, at, at 18, I read Joseph Campbell, and it fucking blew my mind, right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and about the journey of the female hero, and was distraught by the fact that while women are a part of mythology, they are, they are not, they don't go on the hero journey. Mm, They're the yeah. mother, the temptress, the lover, whatever. Yeah, you have, like, the, the triple goddess. You have, like, she, women are often the facilitators of the male hero's story. Exactly. And Campbell says, and that's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's real important. important. Um, so, so how is it different? And then I wanted to, like, what are the themes that are different? And then I wanted to, sorry, those are my dogs, Giles and Wesley, um, guarding the house, like watchers do. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, uh, in the final part, look at, okay, well, how are these stories different if they're told by women? Um, and so that's kind of how it evolved. Well, yeah, and, uh, and I think that's a really great approach to it as well because, you, yeah, getting the female perspective of how a hero's journey can be told, is, I mean, it's going to be a different story entirely, um, in some ways, I mean, uh, did you find the, you know, what the overlapping, um, uh, you know, what's the Venn diagram of hero stories for women and men? Oh, no, I didn't. That, that actually be really interesting. I mean, they do, they, I mean, they go on a journey. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a, uh, they reject the call to go on the adventure. Yeah. Um, they do have a mentor. They do have sidekicks. Um, they do have trials that they overcome. They do have a uh, metaphysical or metaphorical death and rebirth. And they do complete the journey. With women, it seems like, and it's may be just because I'm very much focused on television, which is or, or comics, which is which are serial mediums, mm-hmm. um, that the female hero journey kind of spirals or it's more like concentric circles that keep going so they keep yeah. going on the journey over and over and over again um mm-hmm. uh what else 
especially with um with heroes like i mean like like wonder woman who's been around for nearly 75 years um there's you know there's been so many stories told about her and then with every generation like it's almost we're trying to retell the same stories at times you know and people are going like well that happened back in the 50s or that happened back in the 60s like well, it's new to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, for that, I mean, that goes back to oral tradition storytelling. You know, like the Iliad and the Odyssey, which, um, uh, you know, they're stories that are told by many different people, right? It's a Homeric yeah. tradition, not necessarily Homer. So, uh, but what I'm talking about is, so like Buffy, she died twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it, maybe it's not necessarily that they don't learn their lesson on the first time. It's that they go through the hero's journey repeatedly. But with female heroes, unlike male heroes, they their sidekicks um, become heroes themselves. So they are much more focused on community, right, and on support and on elevating their, the um, not the status of their sidekicks, but the the innate skills of their sidekicks, right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. Then that doesn't that make then that kind of makes Buffy on par with Batman, because it's it's the same kind of thing where you know Batman has this network of family, like, and Buffy has this network of. Do you think of, that he he cares and loves them in the same with the same depth and complexity that Buffy loves the Scoobies and get gets that in return in the same way that Buffy gets from the Scoobies? I think um. In some ways, yes, and in other ways, no. Um, I, I don't deny, you know, Buffy's love of the Scoobies um, at all because, yes, again, we're, we're shown through the, the seven seasons mm. uh, uh, just how much they love and rely on each other and would die for each other, you know, repeatedly. Um, so uh, I, I get that. With Batman, this is because I'm probably a, a Batman apologist, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or just I'm just a huge fan of Batman. It's um how one of my best friends and I bonded. It was like, you like Batman? I like Batman. Let's talk about Batman. Yeah. Um, it's just the family aspect of it was always one of the big draws for me because he had a, at at one point you know three sons, and Barbara was kind of like a surrogate daughter at times, and it always depended on who was writing because that's what always gets me is that in some cases he was, you know, the, the father figure and was, you know, teaching his children how to fend for themselves, you know, how to be, you know, the heroes that they eventually would grow up to be like with Dick Grayson becoming Nightwing eventually. Um, And then somewhere along the way, I'm going to probably say around Frank Miller. (laughs) It, it, Frank Miller and Alan Moore and all, you know, the the dark grittiness of the 80s and, and whatnot, uh, it started to turn into, uh, I'm a man with a mission and everyone around me be damned as long as I do what I set out to accomplish, which he will never do because you can't stop. Crying. Right, yeah. So I, I don't, um, I believe that he does care for his, his quote unquote children. Um, and the, the network he's kind of built up, but he just does not express it in the same way that, like, Buffy would willingly hug Willow or hug Xander. Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, maybe expression, the the way it's expressed is, is different. I mean, like, Superman, you know, has a deep love for uh, humanity, right? mm-hmm. and so 
but that's that isn't expressed in the same way as say you know Dark Angel expresses her affection or Buffy. Um, yeah, yeah, and he is, a, and you know, Batman is a mentor of sorts, and I think it is really interesting. It goes back to what we we're talking about earlier. It really does depend on who is telling the story. Yeah, and and when like when people will say will ask. You know, what do you think about Wonder Woman? Well, which Wonder Woman, right? Talking yeah. about like the overarching um, archetype icon symbol that is Wonder Woman. Are we talking about television Wonder Woman? Which television Wonder Woman? <laughs> you know, which comic book Wonder Woman? That there are, that there are different characters. Exactly. Well, and and that's been the thing you know recently with because we have. Superman v. Batman court journey of justice or whatever the hell it is. Um, and was one bullshit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I, I, when I was, I was living with my dad for a very brief period between um, leaving college and, and getting my, my current job. And uh, I was, I was home by myself and decided to watch Sucker Punch because I had never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And was 20 minutes into the movie about the time that baby doll starts talking. Uh-huh. First time, and I texted a friend. I was like, "I already hate this movie." Yeah, <laughs> it was just everything. It's like I don't deny that Snyder has a really you know gorgeous aesthetic. Yeah. like he composes beautiful shots, beautiful movies. You know, Man of Steel was visually gorgeous and and whatnot. But it's just like this is not a movie that should ever be called female empowerment. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know about you, but I don't like going around in a sailor, you know, suit with a sword and uh, no protection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not not my favorite thing to do on a weekend. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, even with uh, Wonder Woman's appearance or cameo or, you know, whatever it's going to end up being, the amount of scrutiny that's now going to be on Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot, uh, forgot how to yeah. pronounce her, uh, because... We don't know how long she's going to be in it, but she's going to be the first cinematic Wonder Woman. Well, and so all eyes are going to be on her. Yeah. 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 Um, what What do you think of, of the casting of her and, and what this kind of means for Wonder Woman in terms of... <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a loaded I know, question. Right? I, mean, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, again, it depends on... All of these things you talked about. I mean, what will her role be? How big will it be? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure she understands the weight of of what is upon her. Yeah. Um, I think Twitter's been letting her know that for a long time. Yeah. And it could be amazing. I mean, we've seen actors take um, crappy crappy roles and I'm not or crappily written roles and do amazing things with them or do things in roles that we didn't think that they were able to do right yeah and and totally blow us away and that might be the case um do I trust Zack Snyder himself to create a really amazing well-rounded female character no Mm -hmm. I don't not really um the you know pretty woman hooker boots alone (laughs) <laughs> in the costume that we've seen, it sort of leads you to believe, like, okay, so they're doing the strong female character thing, right? We're going back to that trope where she looks sexy and strong. But we don't know because we haven't seen the movie yet. You know, what yeah. What is she thinking? What is her purpose? What is she doing there in that story? And, you know, I will see the movie, of course. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm curious. I'm very curious. 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've been that too. I mean, when, from the moment they announced it, and I mean, this is always what happens when, uh, when you express your opinion on Twitter is that you get a flood of people telling you what to think. Um, cause, cause I have my reservations, like my, um, cause right now in the comic books, uh, with Wonder Woman, especially cause it's Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang on the book. Um, until the Finchers take over, which also gives me pause. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh, my God, okay. Um, I'm going to give it a chance, but I am so, like, on the fence about it already. Did you get to read Jill's interview in uh, the Mary Sue? I, I, was that where she they were trying to clarify? Or the the feminist she, thing? And then, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like, God, yeah. you guys are in charge of, like, the biggest feminist icon. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, of course she's feminist. But, you know, we're really just going to write what we want to write. <laughs> okay. Like, awesome. Cool. Sure. Like, do we understand what feminism is? Good. We're all on board here, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing because I'm so the Cliff Chang version has kind of like it's it's um it's on par with Darwin Cook's version of uh, Wonder Woman. Okay. Just the depiction of the tall, muscular looking like she. As much as Diana has been blessed with all these gifts, like it still looks like someone who was trained from birth, essentially. Yeah, and it's written really well and it's drawn beautifully. I couldn't get behind mm-hmm. the. It's written really well. It's drawn really beautifully. I could not get behind the Wonder Woman story that they were telling about Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's it's a little, you know, uh, rough. Uh, <laughs> it's a little revisionist. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. Because, um, uh, yeah, it's it's always been with DC's whole things. Like, well, we don't know which origin to go with. Like, pick one. Yeah. I don't care at this point. Just pick an origin. Well, and, and pick the one that it. people are... are very clearly and very vocally on board with, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like, and I saw where Azarello was taking it, you know, I mean, we we all kind of see it, you know, with the, I did like how he handled the idea that, you know, people believing she was made of clay, you know, would use that as a derogatory term towards her, Mm. that it's about her kind of struggling with these ideas of perfection and proving herself to her own sisters who just view her as like, oh, well, she was crafted to be the best, and therefore, you know, she just thinks she's better than all of us, um, which she she doesn't. Um, and I think that that's been one of the thorough lines of the, the, the ongoing story that I've been enjoying is how Diana has been kind of struggling with that very real aspect of people who are flawed and want to show and want to tell people, like, look, I'm not as perfect as you might think I am. Yeah, yeah. See, I loved Gail's, Simone's take on the origin story, where so where she was made of clay and she was a gift. She was the daughter of the Amazons, and yet she wasn't really. And so all the Amazons, not all the Amazons, but some of the Amazons had um, sort of jealousy and, and envy of the queen for actually having a daughter. And I loved that Gail addressed the sort of... Um, Bio, potential biological desire to have a child, but didn't uh, didn't suggest that all women want to have babies. So yeah, that was really cool, and that was a unique way to take on that origin story. Yeah, the 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 circle is is probably one uh, that and Hikatea oh, are probably yeah <laughs> yeah great Greca <laughs> Greca come on <laughs> I know because um, yeah those are um, you know 
along with some of Azarello's stuff, like those are the two stories that I really go to because the circle is very much, yeah, addressing what it is like to be a woman in an all-female society that is essentially shunned men. And I mean, because that's always kind of fascinating me. Like what are the, you would have different factions that would eventually over time develop and the, the, the devotion of the circle to Hippolyta to the point that they would try to kill Diana. Um, Some, you know, one or two out of jealousy, the others just because they're, they're kind of following suit. Um, And then Hikatea showing that other side of Diana that will defend uh, anyone who seeks her help, no matter what, even if they deserve, you know, punishment, you know, she's going to help you um, regardless. Yeah. Very Buffy. Uh, Very Buffy. Yes. Um, and and the thing is with with Gal's uh, the the photo that came out and all the comparisons to Xena uh, yeah. that were were also happening. Xena, who was great and groundbreaking, and also very much a symbol of the 1990s, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote strong female character, but but not a cliche, right? No, it and 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 uh, Xena's another show that I struggled with at one point because. Um, I was a big fan of Hercules, uh, Legendary Adventures, the one that came before it. Um, I'm also a big fan of, like, sidekick characters, so, like, Eolus was my guy. (laughs) I'm like, you know, whatever, Kevin Sorbo, I like this guy over here. (laughs) So when he died umpteenth times, I was like, okay, here we go. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like on Stargate when Daniel Jackson kept dying over (laughs) Well, and so on Xena, Gabrielle is the one who actually goes on the hero journey. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, it, and the show starts with the redemption story for uh, for Xena, and we eventually learn most of her past. I mean, I think they just, at some point, we're starting to just make it up, and oh, yeah. like they'll figure it out where it fits in. We don't it, care anymore. It was, you know, and so here, so to, first, before I forget, if you like Hercules' legendary journeys, my friend Ruby Blondell, she's a professor um, in the classics department at UW, she has done work on that series. Really? Academic work on that series. Yes, it's amazing. She's amazing. And uh, um, so for Xena, I love shows that are batshit crazy and know it, right? Shows like Xena, um, shows like Orphan Black, Lost Mm -hmm. Girl, uh, Sleepy Hollow, um, Mm -hmm. things that are really smart but also kind of low budget with the exception of Sleepy Hollow. Um, I think it has higher production values. They can get away with more subversive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like indie comics can get away with more stuff than or or be more subversive get away with more stuff is, is not exactly what I want to say. Be more subversive than DC or Marvel, right? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and in the and and that's one of the things that I did like about both Xena and Hercules that they had those episodes that were entirely out of canon. Uh, they were the you know basically the clip shows, but they actually framed them in a way that was entertaining, where they would be like, "Oh, you're the reincarnation of Xena," or uh, there was the one where I think it was um, uh, Joxer. Uh, it was Ted Raimi's character was actually the incarnation of Xena, and her Gabrielle was uh, was. Lucy Lawless or something. Well, they have like Caesar and Jesus and like all of these people living at the same time in a musical episode. 
Yeah. Or, you know, from the same people, Cleopatra 2525, which was... Oh, yeah. Wonderful, right? I mean, you have three women working together in this crazy world. I mean, what what could be wrong about that? (laughs) Every woman you've ever seen and probably in the, uh, the, the, what, the Raimi universe of shows is showing up here. Yeah. Oh man, and when you've got Gina Torres, I mean, singing the just... singing the theme song. <laughs> he was singing the theme song. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, that makes it even better. I, I, I love the year twenty five twenty. Right. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, I had a professor in college. She was very. Um, she she'd written a few uh, articles, Kathleen Kennedy, about um, Zena. Athena's daughters. Huh? Yeah. Where did you go? Um, I went to uh, Western Washington University up in Bellingham. Okay. So, uh, yeah, she wrote about Xena. She wrote about, um, she also wrote about Babylon 5. Yeah. She really liked that show a lot. I'd, I'd never seen it, so I couldn't really talk to her about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one of my friends and colleagues, Rhonda Wilcox, wrote, who wrote, um, well, she's done a lot of Buffy. She's a mother of Buffy studies. She wrote um. the intro to Athena's Daughters. Oh, okay. There I don't know that Kathleen Kennedy was um, up in Bellingham. Well, it's she's not there anymore, but we could be talking about two different Kathleen Kennedys then. Okay. She's over in Missouri now. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I have to check because that's actually, I've seen that before. It's a very common name. So okay. All right. We'll have to double check on that one. But she's still like Kathleen Kennedy from Western Washington. Awesome. And yours is probably awesome as well. Oh, uh, no. Uh, no, women. Yeah, director of women's studies at Western Washington University. Oh, same one. Same one. All right, and we got a commonality here. Yeah. Well, no, I mean I have, I've never met her, but very cool. She's awesome. Yeah, I, I used to be her TA, so oh. <laughs> we would sit around sometimes and talk uh, a little bit of the Zena because she had a she had a cutout of her in the office. Oh yeah. There we go. Cool. Uh, but yeah, those um I. The one thing that I really enjoy about certain shows, especially like uh, the the really campy ones, is that they do allow women to to be silly, yeah. to to have fun because you. Um, it's one of those things that I think that network television has not figured out that women like being funny. Mm. Like we're just as funny, um, given the right material and the right premise and all that kind of stuff. We're like when um, SNL was very heavy on the female uh, uh, leads, basically. And they're like, is this the year of the woman yeah. on SNL? It's like, no, it's, it's, they've always been there. Yeah. Well, and again, especially in comedy, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, Lucy, Roseanne, um, uh, uh, Cosby Show. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, women have always, uh, 30 Rock, women have always been there in comedy. And, um, police detective stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's really more finding them in the superhero-type genre. Um, Agent Carter, I'm looking forward to, to watching. Yeah, no, I, you know, Haley Atwell just not, you know, I loved the first uh, uh, Captain America movie. She was really great in it, and the short was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that they're going to be exploring the beginnings of S.H.I.E.L.D. through her. Yeah. Because she's obviously the most kick-ass character. <laughs> well, and it'll be interesting to see um, what is hopefully a well-done period piece. Mm-hmm. Because I would love to see an origin story, and it doesn't need to be in the 40s, but a Wonder Woman origin story 
like they were talking about doing the Amazon on the CW. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't need necessarily need to be set in a, in the forties, but but it would be cool if it were. Yeah, but it, it's one of those things that whenever they would bring up the idea of a Wonder Woman TV show again, it was always like, well, how are we going to put her in the modern world? Like, put her in the modern world. Put, you, <laughs> you put Smallville in the modern world. Oh, my God. I was watching a couple episodes of that the other day, and it's like, I like the woman who was playing Lois Lane. Um, Erica Durant. She was great. She was the best yeah. Lois Lane since Margot Kidder. Ooh, there we go. Then some fighting words with other people. I know. Because <laughs> I liked her, but I just didn't like the every chance to put her in a skimpy outfit uh, kind of thing. Yeah. And and she's in the Wonder Woman uh, costume at one point too, which was you know cool. But at the same time, you're like, just let Lois be the intrepid reporter. That's all we need. Well, what I liked was by the end of the series. I mean, there are like two or three seasons that were are unbearable, right? But the mm-hmm. last the last season towards the end of the series that they really put them, put her and Clark uh, on equal footing in the relationship. And they were both very supportive of each other, um, not um, Mm self-sacrificial. And, and just really, it was an equal partnership, I thought. And I thought that that was very cool to see. Yeah. I've, I I enjoy when, once they finally get them together in whatever series or comic or whatever, it's, it's the whole idea that, Lois is protecting him as much as he's protecting her. She, they're just doing it on dif- in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, with Clark, it's always, well, I have the superpowers. And with her, she's basically covering for him or whenever he has to, like, go anywhere. Yeah. And then constantly being like, I'm just going to go get the story, and I expect you'll be there when I need you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and that speaks a lot to their relationship, that they trust each other implicitly, you know, in that way. And they respect each other. In respect, yes, exactly. Um, what, so what did you think of Man of Steel then? <laughs> ah! <laughs> um, Henry Cavill was amazing. Amy Adams was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can think of it in bits and parts were uh, well-acted or intriguing. I mean, overall... Um, I mean, it's not my favorite Superman. Yeah. <laughs> put, it, put it nicely. Who's your favorite I didn't Superman? hate it. I mean, I didn't hate it. But mm-hmm. I like the... I mean, I love the larger-than-life mythic origin story of the 1970s Donner films. And when yeah. I say Donner films, I'm ta- also talking about the Donner cut of Superman 2. Um, yes. Which portrayed a, a much more uh, complex, strong female character in Lois Lane than mm-hmm. um, than the film that that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, one who is, I mean, yeah, that's if you haven't seen the Richard Donner cut, you've got to see Richard Donner cut of Superman too. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I you know. Man of Steel is a tough. One. I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. Like when when I came out of the movie, I wasn't even certain I had seen a Superman movie. Yeah. Uh, and so I went and saw it again, just to be like, okay, I I want to give this movie a chance because it's the foundation of the DC cinematic universe, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, and it's on such shaky ground at this point um, with that movie and in, in the 
tone that they set and the precedent that they sent it set for it because it's not Nolan's universe anymore mm. that, you know, that ended with the dark Knight rises. Yeah. And in trying to basically piggyback off of that aesthetic, they're create they're crafting a universe where the happy characters with the very colorful outfits are now dour, depressed aliens. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's not like you can't tell stories about Clark struggling with his humanity and his uh, and his alienness. Like there have been plenty of them out there. Yeah. Um, and then there are also really great stories with Lois featured in them, where she is supportive and a part of the story, an active agent in the story. Yeah. <laughs> Has a purpose. Yeah, I mean, and I definitely preferred it to Superman Returns. Yes. Um, yeah. even though um. I thought Brandon Ralph was a fine Superman. He was a very sad Superman. And I guess, and that's sort of the story, right? But, yeah, he's lonely. Huh? He's lonely. He's lonely. But, I mean, that Lois was just... Blah. Blah. And, um, yeah, I, and I wasn't into the story of that one. And it was, it was, it was um, obviously a retelling of... Mm-hmm the uh, Donner films, the original 70, uh, 1970 Superman movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But so, so Man of Steel, what I felt was a step above that. There are a lot of, wait, why did you do that moments? It didn't make sense. Probably forced like, um, you know, Pa Kent sacrificing himself. Oh, the tornado bit is just like, uh, if I could rewrite that movie, (laughs) rearrange Goyer's script. Uh, yeah um you know and i know that superman this is controversial i know that superman doesn't kill um Mm. i get i it didn't it didn't it might be watching too much cable it didn't Mm. it didn't bother me as much as it did a lot of people that he um ended up killing zod Mm -hmm. um yeah it it didn't it bothered me more in the sense that structurally within the movie it was never set up that this was a thing yeah you know because the whole bit is that i mean yeah in the comics superman has probably killed a couple of people <laughs> probably. probably i mean it's the same with Batman. lateral like, damage fire, whatever even a man of steel he's probably inadvertently killed thousands by just flying through buildings <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always that cut when they they cut to a bunch of people standing while the buildings are falling. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Run, idiot! Um, But it was the whole idea that um, the the movie is predicated on us already kind of understanding that Superman good and does not kill uh, instead of really, like, setting it up through the movie itself. Like, um, getting to know Clark and why he has this... um, uh, why killing is bad for him. Yeah. Uh, just He just kills Zod and then screams and then cut to, oh, I guess we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And it was another, I mean, and it. you're right, the way it was framed, it was another one of those, okay, why did you do it that way? Mm-hmm. Moments. Like, that doesn't necessarily make sense in the terms of the character and the story. I, I get why it was done, but it yeah. doesn't make sense in terms of the character and the story, as with the tornado scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and even just, like, because I liked Amy Adams as Lois Me Lane. Too. You know, she was She was very good, uh, and she had the spunk that was needed at times. But then it's like, there's a point where she's no longer necessary to the plot. Yeah. 
she's just there because they need to have her there to do one thing that anyone else could have done. Yeah. Um, and even when they ask her to come up when they're, she's ordered on board the ship, it's like, well, why? Yeah. There's no reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, he would like that woman, like, could you tell us, like, uh, give us any kind of explanation? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and those are always the things that bug me because I can be on board with batshit crazy movies that make absolutely no sense plot wise. Yeah. If that's the movie I know I'm getting into. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And with Man of Steel, that was not the movie that was advertised to be. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and I think the one thing that's giving me hope about the Batman-Superman movie, uh, Justice League Part 1, is is that Chris Terrio is writing it. I think he's rewriting it Mm. uh, from Goyer's outline or something like that. I don't know. But if the award-winning writer of Argo can fix it, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we've been we've just been going like through like every possible female character I can think of in like movie and TV franchises. Um, what did you think about the X Men movies? Like how they represent women? <laughs> ah, see, I oh, just gonna which, which one? Uh, okay, we uh, we actually just watched um, Days of Future Past. Oh, what did you think of that one? Um, you know, I I enjoyed it more than I thought that I was going to. Um, uh, I liked that it was kind of uh, rebooted at the end. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's always I've the, the X Men movies frustrate me more than any film franchise ever has. Oh, really? They because the continuity. I'm a continuity person. Oh, yeah. So every time I would watch the movies, it's like, okay, everything's about Wolverine for some reason. Yeah. I like Hugh Jackman. Don't get me wrong. The shirtless scenes are great. Yeah. Um, but, like, Wolverine is not the most important character in in the X-Men universe. All of these characters could have had a movie. I would have loved to have seen a Storm movie if Halle Berry was not playing her. I know. Um, I would have loved for uh, Days of Future Past to have been Kitty Pryde's movie. That would have been great. It would have been good. Um, Instead of I, developing a power she never had. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm not super concerned. I'm not super concerned about continuity because I know, again, we were talking about this, different different creators, different mm-hmm. mediums or media, different time periods, right? These stories were told differently um, in different media over time, right? And I'm okay with that. Um, At least one of us is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I loved the second X-Men movie. I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. Um, mm-hmm. the third, the third one was terrible. Yeah. Um, I am horrified and still nauseated that, um, Jean begs Wolverine to kill her and he does. Yeah. Um. Like just the worst mangling of the Phoenix saga ever. Right? Yes, it's just terrible. X-Men First Class, I don't think that the women characters were excellently drawn. Um, mm-hmm. But I loved it because it was, like, one of those movies that's going to be playing at midnight in theaters in 20 years, and people are going to be, like, reciting lines and throwing things at the screen. Oh, my God, that would be amazing. Right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I find it... Uh, um, inexplicably enjoyable 
Yeah, it's it's always I have tons of movies in my my uh, vast library of them that are just they're just dumb fun. Yeah, and I'm not going to say guilty pleasure because I don't believe that pleasures are guilty. No, but we it's, should not. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah, first class is has those moments definitely. That there's the meat of that movie with the uh, the Eric and Charles bromance is is like the best part. You're like that should have just been the movie. Um, and and I like the. I think it goes back to the continuity thing because the whole Mystique being the adopted sister. Ah, uh, I get why, but it's like you you had a chance to have a clean slate here. This could have been your clean slate. Yeah. After the the terrible stench of X three, yeah, um, we could have rebuilt, <laughs> and then they connected them, and you're just like, ah, oh, you didn't want to lose Hugh Jackman, did you? Yeah, you didn't want to lose Hugh Jackman. Yeah, um, but yeah, overall, like I enjoyed First Class, and Days of Future Past is probably my favorite nice. of the entire franchise. Wow. Yeah, I mean the first one's okay, just because. It introduces everyone. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I have problems with Halle Berry as Storm. She she just doesn't bring across the re- the regalness. Yeah. Um, and then Rogue is a huge, huge deal for me. Oh, like, being cut out of the movie. Well, being cut out of the movie, and then in the first one, being kind of reduced to the uh, sidekick for Wolverine. Oh yeah. And it's just like she's. I, I, I'm so used to the cartoon version, and I think that's where it's all coming from, is the, the you know, again, strong female character, because Rogue just kicked so much ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, the flying and the punching, and you could make a movie out of Rogue's origin um, and then have the Ms. Marvel story spin off from that, too. Oh, yeah, please. Can we have like, that? <laughs> it, it's all connected, and that's that's what's great and frustrating about the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Well, can we have a Ms. Marvel... And can mm-hmm. we have a Captain Marvel? Oh, God, yes. I want Carol Danvers in the movie stat. Yes, absolutely agree. And then I want Kelly Sue DeConnick to write oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Co-credit yeah. with uh, Gail Simone, you know. Yep, exactly. And then we'll have uh, G. Willow Wilson come in, because they'll eventually have to do the uh, the second Ms. Marvel spinoff with Kamala. Oh, yeah? Sweet. Because uh, she's also awesome. And go figure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, because um, have you been reading Greg Pak's uh, Storm solo? No, uh-uh. It's really good. It's um, It feels like these little vignettes, but they're kind of telling this larger story about where Storm feels like she uh, fits into this universe, like she was a, a queen, a goddess, uh, a mutant, uh, you know, a woman, all this kind of stuff. And so she's trying to figure out what what her story is, really. Interesting. So you know her origin story. Oh, yeah. Chris Chris Claremont uh, straight up swiped that from Modesty Blaze. Oh, he did? Yeah. 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 (laughs) The orphan and the, yeah. Yep. Thief in Cairo. Uh (laughs) Well, there you go. Like, just, uh, well, wasn't it what uh, Frank Miller stole the Electra storyline from um, Eisner? Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, he he stole the character of Electra. From uh, Will Eisner's spirit, uh, I think it was Sans Serif. Huh. Yeah, and he uh, he admitted it in a uh, History Channel did one of those documentaries about the history of comic books. Oh yeah, yeah. 
and he even he was like he knows this because this is before Eisner had passed away, and he's like, yeah, I stole it, top to bottom, bottom, took the whole thing. Yeah, well, that's what Claremont said. It's like if you're gonna, he said, if you're gonna swipe, you swipe from the best. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Like, all right, but I mean, and that's the thing, like, what I loved most about Storm was that she had those specific fears and flaws and, and everything, like having having a character who's afraid of small spaces and how she reacts to it. And, yeah. like, I mean, because the cartoons were the introduction for me. I didn't start reading comics until kind of more into my adult years, actually. Yeah, me too. I mean, other than, like, Archie comics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I used to have um, X Men trading cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I I held on to the Storm one for dear life. Like, I would never trade it. Um, I wanted to be Storm because I love, like, she's got all these powers of weather. And uh-huh. <laughs> it's like those little things that you wish for as a kid or you're just like, I want lightning power. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah, if they could give us a Storm movie with Mohawk Storm. Yeah. That and would be the. Player. Oh, God. That would be the question right now, because I always imagined her as more like um, Imam. Mm, yeah. Uh, Iman or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bowie's wife. But I don't know. She's in, she, she's probably not an actress. So. She, well, she was in, um, oh, which star? She was in one of the Star Treks. Oh, was she? Yes. Okay. No, I can't remember uh, which one it was. She, but yeah, yes, but, she was. <laughs> uh, yeah, because she always just kind of like carried herself in a way that I assumed Storm would. Yeah, um, definitely regal. Yes, because uh, I mean Zoe Saldana, I think is is just a stand-in for everyone now, which is unfortunate because she is a really great actress. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to overuse her too much. Like, yeah, but, she's. I mean, she's doing. She's become what Angel what Angelina Jolie was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just gonna show up in a movie, and I'm Laura Croft, whatever. <laughs> well, the only bankable, the, I would say the only bankable um, actress in an action hero role right now. Yeah. So, like Angelina Jolie was at that time, and now we have Zoe Saldana, mm-hmm. who's great. But who else? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I do like. Um, oh, I I forgot her name. She plays Abby um, on a. On Sleepy Hollow. I don't know why I'm spacing on her name right now, too. Yeah, is it? Just, I've had a glass of wine. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> I I tweeted about um because when they announced the uh, the True Detective season two cast. Oh yeah. I was like, man, why my fan casting of Jessica cast uh, uh, Jessica cast uh, Chastain and uh, something Bahari is it Jennifer Jessica Bahari? Oh yeah. Something like that. I'm. Are you Googling? I can hear you typing. I'm Googling. Yeah. I'm Nicole. like, Nicole. Nicole, there we go. Ah, my middle name for crying <laughs> out loud. <laughs> like, um, yeah, Nicole Bahari, like, th- that would have been, like, the, my favorite, like, true detective kind of, like, you know, female cops or whatever, because they just kind of embody those roles. Yeah. It would have been an interesting dynamic, but I think she'd make a, she would make an interesting storm. I mean, she's, I think she's a little too short, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we can work around that, right? Um, angles and whatnot. Exactly, fork for the Hobbit. Uh, <laughs> even her sister, the woman who plays her sister, would make a good story. Yeah. Um, God, I'm trying to think. Are there any like African actresses that you could really go to? Shoot. Oh, oh, who uh, was the one? Lupita. Yes, Lupita. Um, dang, we are so bad at this. I know, right? <laughs> um, when we're 
Lupita. But he did that wonderful shop of her. Yeah, the, uh, the Lupita Nyong'o. Yes. Yeah, from 12 Years a Slave and everything. That was the one who everyone was saying, like, she should be Storm. And, and that I do agree with yeah. that. She she would be a really kick-ass Mohawk Storm. Totally. Totally. <laughs> so that's the fan cast right there. I think everyone agrees. Yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> we need to make this happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And how do we make it happen, though? That's the... Well, and, and, and that's the thing is, like, because... I mean, one of the bigger things that's been coming out now, I mean, I, did you ever, have you ever tackled video games in any of your uh, your writings at this point? No, and, you know, so my husband was a senior art director at Microsoft Game Studios for over a decade, and I there can't play current video games um, because they're migraine triggers. Mm-hmm. There <laughs> all, we go. All the flashing and all the movement. Um, the other thing is, uh, most video games don't necessarily tell narrative in the way that I was looking at it for Inkstained Amazons. Okay. So. So it would, it would have been just a, a lot of nothing for pain. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I had to give up on video games when I was probably about 14 because I am one of those people who gets very emotionally invested in completing levels. Gotcha. To the point where I was almost throwing controllers across the So I learned very quickly, like, you're going to have to cut yourself off now. (laughs) But, um, I mean, because I I assume that you've been kind of keeping up a little bit with what's been going on with, like, the gaming industry and representation of women. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially with, um, in the wake of the He For She movement that just started, Mm -hmm. and then all the stuff with Zoe Quinn and Anita Sarkeesian as well. Um, I mean, do you have, do you have, I, I imagine you have thoughts on it, but I mean, what's been your take on the situation at this point? Um, well, I mean, on sexism, misogyny, and harassment uh, of women who use their voices to critique um, media. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, that's where I'd be coming at it from. And of course, I want to do everything to support women who are speaking up in public um, about women's representation. And I mean, it's horrifying. And Anita's a friend of mine. And um, it's, it would be horrifying to see that sort of treatment of a woman speaking in public um, about something that should be spoken about. Uh, mm-hmm. even if I didn't know her, but to know her, it's, I mean, it's terrifying, right? Because it, it's, it's something that could happen to any single one, one of us. Yeah. Um, so it makes you question whether or not you do want to speak up or how you would protect yourself if you did. And this, this has happened in comics. Um, this has happened in, um, in gaming. It's happened in the tech industry, this sort mm-hmm. of, um, I mean, it goes beyond backlash. With, with it, it becomes cyber mob attacks, mm-hmm. um, and there and needs to be some sort of. I mean, obviously there needs to be a cultural change, but until there is, there needs to be some sort of um, legal infrastructure in place to protect people. Yeah, because there there isn't even like a thing on you know Twitter won't even block harassment. Yeah. At this point, like, you know, uh, I, I saw a lot of Anita's tweets in the wake of the, the latest uh, tropes versus women and and all the, you know, she's just saying, like, Twitter has nothing to to safeguard yeah. 
uh, person for speaking their mind and is, is getting bombarded with these awful things. Yeah. And local police don't necess- don't know what to do about it. Um, they, um, my understanding is that they don't necessarily understand um, how some of these social media functions work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the FBI is a place to go, but I mean there needs to be some sort of anti hate <laughs> legislation, <laughs> online anti hate legislation, right? Um, yeah. And ways to protect yourself from this kind of behavior because it's, it's really terrifying. And so that's that's one aspect of it. The other one, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I would like to see better representation, <laughs> yeah. diversity of persons. I mean, and not just women, right? I mean, gender is one thing, right? Or, or sex and gender are two things. Um, but in, in body types in um, representations of physical abilities, um, access to video gaming in terms of um, different abilities. Um, My friend um, Elsa, uh, she's Snarkbat on Twitter, and she she does a site where she um, talks about, or she does a blog where she talks about how to make video games more accessible to people with disabilities because she's legally blind. And so she does consulting work on that. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I mean, there are a lot of issues to be addressed and I'm really excited to see people, um, at at least talking about them online Mm -hmm. at conferences like Geek Girl Con or GamerX, um, -hmm. in blogs, on podcasts like this. I'm, I'm, so the article that I'm working on for, for Bitch is on how women are changing the face of geek culture and I'm going to be doing some blog posts for them as well. And um, one of the things that's really striking is how, especially in the last five years, the Internet has really given women, especially um, but other marginalized folks, a, um, a way to amplify their voices, a way to use their voices, but to also create community and amplify these issues. Mm-hmm. Of course, that in turn creates um, more contention and this hostility as well so yeah. it's it's double-edged sword catch 22 it's a good thing and a bad thing right yeah it's like we're, we're trying to create our own safe space and we and we're still getting attacked for yeah. it um and, and yeah because that, that was one of those things that I've, I've also been thinking about with because uh, the internet obviously opened up everyone's voices like anyone who could could say something um, the problem with that is that you can say anything you want and there's very little re- uh, repercussions for it. Um, I know there was an article, I think, on the Mary Sue where they talked about, like, shaming people who say, you know, certain things, um, like, publicly, mm-hmm. basically, which I don't know how effective that is, but it's like, I mean, if it... Oh, sorry. It's like a for real phone. Yeah, it is a, it is a for real phone. <laughs> sorry, there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kids who are listening to this, that's what a real phone used to sound like. Yeah, my friend got that for me for Christmas because I hated the sound of the regular phone. And yes, we do still have a landline. There you <laughs> go. Oh, old. my God. <laughs> no, uh, my, my parents used to have one of those old um, uh, rotary ones. That's what it is. Oh, is it nice? Yeah. Um, very cool. Well, this was one of those, like, um, it had, like, the little um, talk handle you could take off of the, the latch. Oh, interesting. Oh, yes. no, yeah. Yeah, one of those rotary things. So my sister and I would play with the phone, uh-huh. basically. <laughs> You're like, Klondike 5-5. Five, five. Um, 
because we knew those things when we were sick. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the I guess the proliferation of of women uh, utilizing the internet to to make our voices more you know to make our voices heard, um, and then also people of color of disabilities of all kinds saying like, no, we need this space too. It's not just for blank yeah. like it's for all of us and and we all need to get on board with this or we're just going to stagnate yeah um so yeah that's that's what i've been looking at lately and i'm sure you're looking at it too oh yeah absolutely absolutely and and i don't have i don't really have any answers <laughs> no like, jen tell us what we need I to don't do know. <laughs> we're all scared and alone and sitting in our apartments just drinking wine and going well, well and, you know and so yeah so the thing that i would say is you know keep creating community keep finding support don't isolate yourself um yeah. uh, these things are important to talk about they are important to talk about publicly um yeah i mean it, it and yet it is terrifying so that support is critical right your community is critical Exactly. Yeah, my my mother always gets a little concerned because when I when I write certain articles, I can. It's not inflammatory. It's just that she knows that there are cases of people like speaking their mind and then, you know, getting backlash and all that kind of stuff. So she's always a little worried. She's like, "You're gonna are you gonna you know tame it down or you know <laughs> or something like that?" Yeah. Like, I can't do that. It's um, it does frighten me at times because I see what's happened to other people. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's there's that desire to to keep pushing forward because eventually this will be a footnote in history or be a longer chapter of history. Yeah, you know what scares me um, isn't just the the comments that people might make on online on the other end of a screen. It's that finding information about me or my family mm -hmm. is not that hard on the internet. Yeah, I, there are things <laughs> that I don't really want there on the internet. <laughs> you know? And so that sort of that compounds the feeling of being of actually being unsafe, right? I mean, you actually are unsafe. Yeah, it's like the the internet opens you up all the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, well, we should probably end this on a happier note because we've gone over yeah. an hour. <laughs> so, um, I guess you know. So you're writing for Bitch Media right now. You've been doing a few articles and everything. Um, I mean, what, what are you looking forward to, I guess, in the, it, it, as you've looked, I mean, I don't know if you can predict the future or anything. <laughs> we probably can't. Um, are you psychic, Jen? No, not one of my mutant skills. Dang. All right. Fine. Uh, <laughs> what are you looking forward to, I think, in terms of how, like, uh, women are pushing forward in the media, like how, how it's, how it's turning around a little bit? Um, is there anything that you're, you're just kind of like happy with at this point. Yeah. So when I, when I turned in, so part of being stained Amazon's the book, um, the first part, which is, uh, sort of the, the survey, the chronological history and looking at female characters, um, and like, uh, cultural values or political movements over time. So like the 1940s and, um, women in the workforce versus the 1950s and this sort of um, privileging of middle-class white female domesticity versus the 60s and civil rights and the sexual revolution, right? So you see this sort of, um, if you put it in a linear fashion, you can sort of see this push and pull, right? This progressive 
um, steps in American culture and then the backlash of conservative movement. And when I turned the uh, manuscript in, it was at a time where like Buffy was off the air, Zena was off the air. Um, you kind of had some of the strong female character, very sexualized, one you know, two-dimensional um, women characters out in popular culture. And you were seeing a lot of the the bromance, right? The the privileging of the evolution of masculinity, which is also very important. Um, and I found very fascinating to see these, um, you know, uh, this new generation of men having, you know, semi-authentic uh, friendships. I mean, that that was pretty cool to see that in popular culture. But I you figure like one of the most popular shows is Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, or like the the. Um, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright movies, right? The, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, or Reaper, which was a great show. Oh, I loved Reaper. Right? And it was, it was written by women. Um, mm-hmm. And, but there, but there weren't any female characters to end on, my happy note on. And, but I <laughs> felt like going through this history that something was going to happen. And now we're starting to see, again, there's resurgence of really great female characters. I mean, uh, the Mills sisters, um, Katniss Everdeen, um, Merida. Do you watch Legend of Korra? No, I need to. I know that I need to. Oh yeah, you should get on that. Culture right now. Um, <laughs> uh, Lost Girl, Orphan Black, um, Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel. I mean, we're starting to see all of the you know this, this next se- television season is going to be amazing. You've got Agent Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm really ex- I'm really excited about women in pop culture right now um, as characters and creators and as media makers. And I'm excited that the opportunities that women have to make their own media um, via new media making digital access. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I am, I am really excited about right now. Um, I'm excited that things like Geek Girl Con exist and Gamer X exist where there are these spaces that people can come together and have, um, more complex conversations than uh, necessarily happen at larger fan cons. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited. Well, that's great. No, I'm. We didn't even really touch on the fact that you're like one of the co-creators of Geek Girl. <laughs> like, by the way, you're one of the co-creators of Geek Girl. <laughs> there are there are quite a few of us. I mean, that's yes, another thing are. that would not happen without community. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that because um, the first couple of years I wasn't able to attend because I was out of town for work. But uh, I attended last year and am now going to be part of two panels this year. So um, it's it's great to see that kind of uh, convention spring up, and, and especially in Seattle, which I think is just a really great city to have that kind of a convention as well. Yeah. What I always talk about. So I'm. I'm a speaker with Humanities Washington, and mm-hmm. the past two years I've given talks around the state on Ink State Amazons and Cinematic Warriors. And the next two years I'm going to be speaking on um, geek divas, geek girls, and gamers, how oh. geeks are creating more inclusive communities. And so um, libraries, cultural institutions, colleges, anybody that wants around the state um, that wants to bring me out as a speaker – uh, they book me through Humanities Washington, and then Humanities Washington pays my speaking fee. Oh, yeah, and it's, so it's a really wonderful program. Um, where am I going with this? It goes back to Geek Girl Con. 
<laughs> are you speaking a geek girl con? Geek girl con. You know, and, and how people are creating these um, communities to push our culture forward and make it more inclusive. Um, I know there was something deeper to that, and I just, I, I lost my train of thought. Damn that glass of wine. <laughs> Curse you, glass of wine. <laughs> you killed my father. Yeah. 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 Oh, so you're going to be on the panels. Uh, yeah. I can bring it back. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be panels with uh, Susan Eisenberg, yeah. um, who people will know as the voice of Wonder Woman from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And uh, she's in the video game Destiny and a bunch of other things that I have to get on a list of things to talk about. Yeah. It's my first time moderating a panel as well, so this will be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to do a Let's Watch Justice League, um, uh, her, uh, Susan, myself, and Alan Kistler. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, we're, we picked three episodes that we're going to watch, and in between episodes we're going to do, like, you know, a little commentary, trivia, that kind of stuff, so. Yeah. Uh, it'll it's gonna be fun because the the episodes that we picked I think are are very good for not only Wonder Woman but just showing kind of how she fits into the superhero genre yeah. as well. So, yeah. are you are you gonna be um, doing any panels at Geek Girl Con this year? Or are you just uh, just walking around? <laughs> so so at the after last year's con, I moved into an advisory position instead of um, I was the director of programming and events. And most people don't know that Geek Girl Con is a can be a full-time job and it's unpaid. And so it's doing all of this volunteer work in our quote unquote spare time. And after three and a half years, I just, I had to step back a little bit, which was really hard um, because I love doing programming. I love networking. I love the idea creation. I love putting panels together. Um, So this year I am on a few panels, but it will be the very first year that I can kind of relax a little bit yeah, running around, greeting people, you know, putting out networking, putting out fires, um, which is enjoyable in its own way. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, no, so I, I'm really excited to see what it feels like this year. Um, it's such a special, amazing place to be um, as far as a space, um, a geek convention space or a geek space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely like last year when I was there, it was just so... Uh, you know, it's just fun watching, like, little kids running around in their costumes and everything, and people just, it's just the overall positive vibe of it, you know, with um, women and men just being like, we're celebrating women in these industries and encouraging it more because we need to have more of this, and um, it's it's just really awesome. Like, a lot of the panels that I went to last year were great, and I'm looking forward to even more of them. So. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I know, and I'm looking to actually being able to go, looking forward to actually being able to go to panels and sit through it and <laughs> actually pay attention. Yeah. yeah. Stand up and ask a question, be like, I have a question for the lady on the panel there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it thrills me that there are so many people, and people from, like, globally, right, who want to come and participate in this space, either by sharing their knowledge, by asking questions, by being an attendee. Um, It's really, I mean, it proves that people do want this kind of space, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like I said before, you know, we've always been here. Now we're really just carving out our our part of it. Yeah. 
Um, and, and I think like with the creator own stuff, especially like uh, content that can be produced online. I mean, a lot of uh, female creators have gotten their start via YouTube or, you know, something that they drew or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a great it's got its really great moments. You know, the, there's a lot of potential that the Internet, I think, has given um, us as a community to really uh, to strike out on our own and also also to come together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on that note, that's the good. That's the good note to go on. <laughs> um, so, Jen, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate this. Um, me. Yeah, it was great meeting you. At uh, again, I should have mentioned this. We yes, burlesque. Yeah. God, it was my first burlesque show too. Oh, really? What? Yeah. What did you think? I loved it. I was. I, I mean, I I didn't really know what to expect. I knew a little bit about burlesque, and I I talked to JoJo Stiletto before. Yeah. Um, the the actual show, so I had an idea, but it was so cool. Yeah. Just and it, I mean, it's like it's you know the the humor, the the poignancy, like the the there was the one bit about uh, Agent Coulson. Yeah. Oh, Scarlet. Yeah. Yeah, it was so powerful. Just like how how she went about you know portraying him, putting his suit back on, and and everything. Like, um, oh god, what was the the woman who was playing the uh, uh, the Chinese girl? Oh, yep, yep, yep. Cinderella. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> you do. So. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and just Puppet Joss. Oh, um, yeah. Puppet Joss is naughty. <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I couldn't have asked for a better introduction to Well, burlesque. you know, it was it was my introduction to burlesque as well. It was, I was Weedness Burlesque in 2011, and that's mm-hmm. how I – I'd been talking with JoJo about coming to Geek Girl Con um, and uh, ended up getting tickets to the show. And I saw it and was so dazzled that mm-hmm. I had to be in it in 2012. And that was my oh, first yes. burlesque performance. So, yeah. So, <laughs> we Nest Burlesque was pretty fucking powerful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's just this great celebration of uh, women and men, uh, you know, just kind of uh, being, you know, happy with who they are and their bodies and um, expressing themselves via these characters that they love. And, and the Whedon universe definitely has an expansive array of characters and, and themes to explore. So it's it's good, meaty stuff. Well, and it's, you know, it's performative fan fiction, right? You're telling your, yeah. you're telling these stories with your body and your movement and the music that you choose and your costuming. And that's, that's incredibly exciting and powerful. Yeah. No, it was, it was a great experience. And, and, and yeah, meeting you was like the icing on the cake. Oh, and you're so sweet. <laughs> well, when she said, it was like, uh, Inkstain Amazon was like, oh, I read that blog. <laughs> like, I must go over there and talk to her. <laughs> I'm glad you did. No, I'm glad I did, too, because uh, this has been a great podcast. I, I apologize for stuttering here and there. but oh, no uh, worries. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, where can people find you online so that they might partake more in your writings and twitterings and whatnot? I am on inkstainedamazon.com, and I am Ink Amazon on Twitter, uh, though I'm not super active on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's where to find me. All right, cool. And and you've got the the article coming out soon for Bitch Magazine, it's a right? It's winter 2015 issue, and I should have a few blog posts up for them in November. And then Humanities Washington, I'll be speaking around the state next year um, and the year after that on uh, geektivism. Sweet. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so uh, everyone go and check out Jen and uh, read all the stuff and tweet at her if you <laughs> if you can. Maybe she'll respond. To I'll respond. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to try and get this uh, episode out before Geek Girl Con so people will uh, know to go to Geek Girl Con if you're in the Seattle area. Um, it is awesome, super fun, and uh, if you see Jen and myself, please say hi um, if you recognize what we look yeah, like. Yeah, please do. <laughs> So, uh, once again, thank you so much, Jen. Um, and this has been That Girl with the Curls. Uh, this is some sort of sign-off. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>